Welcome to the Solve for Greatness podcast with your hosts, Dr. G and Budima. This podcast hopes to inspire everyone to realize their own greatness, maximize their potential, and create massive impact. Let's do this. You're here with your hosts, Budima and Dr. G. Gihan, how are you going? I am phenomenal, bro. Living the dream. Yeah, that's the way. See, that's that's how you do it. That's how you do it. <laughs> Every time I ask you that question. <laughs> I know what the answer is going to be, and I'm still pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Good. That's the, that's the idea. Yeah. So today we're uh, talking about nursing home wisdom. So what does that mean? That means a lot of things. So... As a GP, every every week I get to spend time with my elderly friends, spend the whole day there and you can't help but learn something about yourself, something about other people. So really excited about taking this opportunity to share what I call nursing home wisdom, like just the things that I've learned, the things that I've observed and just the absolute beauty of these elderly human beings. They are awesome and I want to share that with the world and not just them, but the whole infrastructure. So like the staff that look after them and just how it all works. I think I'm, I'm very excited about delving deep into this. Yeah, for sure, man. Me too. And it's always interesting hearing perspectives from those who have a lot more wisdom than us and that have been through life and they've seen many, many different things and they've seen the changes in the way that society has molded into what it is today and some of that wisdom might mean for us and what we can take out of that and implement in our daily lives. So could you give us a little bit of background on how this topic came about? It came about because, as you know, I'm very passionate about the elderly. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> and and just the amount of things that I've learned from them. At, at a very mechanical level, I'm their doctor. So I'm their regular doctor. So I'll do all their medical stuff. But it's just so much more than that. At least for me, that's been my experience. And a lot of my colleagues, it's just so much more than that. And I've been doing it for quite a few years now. I would say four years and just the amount of things that I've learned, like just one of my friends, when we were studying for our GP exams, they're like the amount of wisdom you can have. If you have 300 year olds in a room, that's 300 years of wisdom uh, and it's there for the taking. If you want to take it, you know, you just got to ask, you know, I look after 30 residents, give or take. So the amount of life experience, I mean, you can read as many books as you want and listen to as many podcasts as you want. I have one pe- resident who was born 1920. Like, just think wow. about that for a second. Like, it's the amount of life that's lived. <laughs> it's mind-boggling, and it's just such a privilege to get to do that every week. Yeah, absolutely. And and living through some of the most eventful moments in, in human history, you definitely come out of that with incredibly unique perspectives. That's right. I mean, many of them, well, I work at a... RSL, so a lot of them are war veterans right, or war widows. So, yeah, the stories are, are ridiculous. And just the level of everything that they've displayed, you know, resilience, compassion, hard work, acceptance at times. One of the biggest things 
about working in a nursing home is dealing with loss and it has many layers. So it could be the loss that's experienced by the resident themselves because by definition, if you live into your 80s and particularly if you're into your 90s and if you hit that sort of 9900 mark, if you have kids, they would probably be in their 70s and 80s. It's not uncommon. Well, it's very common to outlive your friends and relatives. But sometimes you end up outliving your kids as well if you live that long. Yeah. So there's a there's a very yeah, something really interesting happens as you get as you get older, which I don't think people reflect on. Because a lot of people want to live until they're like 90 or 100. You know, you get that letter from the queen. Yeah. But there are significant implications. And th- those are just some of the, the negative implications. But there are some positive implications as well, of course. And then, of course, there's the loss of the actual resident. And unfortunately, or in some cases, and I, and I mean this with respect, fortunately, they do pass away. Yeah, and if you spend four years in a nursing home, you get to see that quite a lot. Like even in this last seven days, I mean, this this has been a particularly particular event for a week. But I've had two residents pass away, and one who I had to palliate, which is essentially commence end of life pathway medications and approach. And that's just last week. Admittedly, that that was an event. This it was an event for a week, but nevertheless, that's not uncommon. Yeah. You said something incredibly interesting. You get a letter from the Queen? <laughs> yeah. When you turn 100, you get a letter. You get a letter from the Queen signed by the Queen. Wow. It's pretty fancy. It's pretty fancy. It's like, yeah, it's a, as far as a letter goes, it's pretty fancy. Jeez. <laughs> it really is an achievement, though, to live to 100. I see, I, I see that as an achievement. You know, to get, to get a written correspondence from Her Majesty... Is, uh, is is quite an honor, isn't it? It's an interesting one. Personally, I couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I uh, made it to 100, right? <laughs> the residents mixed. You know, so, some are pretty pretty happy about getting that letter. But it's just like anything, right? Like you get the letter, there's a moment or two of, wow, I got this letter and then it's back to your normal life. Yeah, it's an interesting one, but I mean, a lot, a lot of the residents do sort of have it stay safely put away, and it's like one of those things they like showing you come into their room and that sort of stuff. So it, it is really nice. It is really nice. Yeah, and you also said that fortunately they pass away. Yep. And I do agree with you. I do agree with you because I think death and our passing is a natural part of the life cycle. I think that's what makes today so special because our passing is a part of our life cycle what do you think about that i agree the best way that i've heard it put is by my favorite monk ajahn brahm he's probably going to keep coming up during this podcast and all episodes because he's had such a massive impact on me and he calls life like a concert so there's a lot of anticipation for it to start. And usually the concert is beautiful, but it does have to end. And there's a elegance to that. It's the fact that it does end and that we know that it's going to end makes the concert that much more beautiful. Yeah. If it never ended, I'm not sure whether it would affect how appreciated the actual concert is. And that's how I view life. I mean, I, I, I really identify with that. That makes a lot of sense to me. And like you said, that makes today a gift. Personally, that's one of the things that I've gained. Like I gain, I think I gain much more than they gain from me because 
I look at it as a blessing to be constantly exposed to the end of life because you or I become very aware of my own mortality. Mm. So not only is today a gift, but there's a, for me, there's a gentle sense of urgency because I know that this is, the concert is going to end and I want to make sure that the concert is freaking epic. Yeah. And for anyone who's watching the concert, enjoys it too. What what are some of the wisdoms or some of the takeaways that you can get from some of your patients in, in your nursing homes about how their concert was? Or is still going. Or is, yeah. It's, that's a good point. Yeah, the wisdom never stops. So I, I, often, I often do like my medical stuff and then I'll ask for life advice <laughs> from them. And it's fascinating what they come up with. And often it's just profound simplicity. If you ask us, like if I asked you, Ro, like for life advice at the moment, what's some wisdom that you can share? I'd probably say brush your teeth, floss, and exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you might fit in well in the nursing home. (laughs) Uh, I love that. So why do you say that? (laughs) <laughs> Probably because that's what I'm focusing on at the moment. <laughs> good, good. Uh, look, yeah, like I said, you, you'd fit in very well. So, yeah, no, I don't know why I said that. I just <laughs> felt like it was. I wanted to be profound and provide some life advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at solid advice. Your dentist would be proud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's 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 a similar line of thinking for my residents. So you know they're in their, some are in their seventies, eighties, a few are in their nineties, and a few have cracked hundred. And there's just this profound simplicity. So you know, often they're very humble. They're like, "Oh, I wouldn't know what to tell you. What do I know?" In my head, I'm thinking you're just being really stingy right now. Like you should, <laughs> you have so much wisdom in there. You're not sharing it or you don't, you don't, you don't realize even. Yeah, wisdom and, and greatness, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And often what I get is, you know, make the most out of your day. Don't worry about things. It's all going to be okay, that sort of stuff. Just be happy because then everyone else around we, around you will be happy. So very simple stuff. I guess there's different eras to life, right? Like if you ask me now, mine would be of, you know, make the most out of your day and make an impact and realize your greatness, that sort of stuff, right? But it's much, much simpler than that for them. And even the, like I had a resident who turned 100 recently and I asked them, hey, what are you going to do on your... On your birthday, you're turning a hundred, and he's like, "Oh, just have a cup of tea," and he just started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's very simple. It's very simple. And there, there's another resident who turned hundred plus as well, and all she wanted was a vanilla slice. Whereas you think at our age, when you think about turning a hundred, you think it's going to be this momentous thing, and it's going to be this massive event. And what I've found is it can be in some families, but Generally, it's just like any other day. And I kind of like that. It's like very, there's a simplicity to that. There is a simplicity to that, isn't it? Because it seems like to get to that level of simplicity, you do need to have lived your life. 
because what what they're really saying is, you know, take it easy or, you know, just live your life. But I think what they really mean is make the most and take every opportunity you can. Because when you're in their position, you want to be able to have said that rather than having regrets when you're you're at that age. That is an interesting one because I, I think that's a great question to start asking actually in terms of regrets. I've never asked that because I think what you just said about, you know, making the most of it now while you can, that could be the bias of someone in their 30s um, and trying to imagine what it will be like in the nursing home perhaps one day. I don't want to comment on that because it'll it'll be my own biases, but I'm going to start asking that question. <laughs> I think that'll be that'll be really interesting because th- there is a simplicity to their advice, but you know that their life was not simple. You know, these people have been through wars and traumas and tragedies that you just cannot imagine, and obviously, really amazing things as well. Hmm. And you know, some of the lo- I have a, I have a resident who has I think forty plus grandchildren. Wow. <laughs> what a legacy right? <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so i think it comes in it comes down to errors it'll be it'll be so interesting if if we had data that i mean i guess we can do it with ourselves now but get life advice at every stage of their life because i imagine it would change because their their life as a 95 year old would have been very different to their life as a 60 year old and 30 year old and 15 year old so but this is the perception from i guess in their twilight years as they say what about your own biases that do you think shapes your opinion about some of the advice that you receive what what do you mean about my biases yeah because you're saying that you know to answer that question you'd be you'd be bringing some of your biases in so i'm interested to know what some of those biases might be right it's very similar to yours the concert is going to end so how are you going to make the concert epic while you can and how you're going to make the most of it yeah one of the dilemmas or i guess a dichotomy that i face is as you know i'm i'm very much into to mindfulness and being in the present moment but then on the other flip side there's this there's a sense of urgency in me to get a lot of stuff done so there's a little i wouldn't call it tension but a bit of clash of mindsets because at one end of the spectrum, you know that when you get to the end of life, well, I, I think at the end of life, I'll be happy with a cup of tea. And there's evidence to suggest that. But then now, is there a sense of how do you balance achievement and growth and service with just being happy with a cup of tea? That's, that is beautiful. It's, it's like living your life to the fullest extent so that when you're old and gray you can find happiness at the end of a cup of tea i I would go one step like in terms of time i would say why can't we do that every day so why can't we go hard live life to the fullest live that day to the fullest but also still be content in just having that cup of tea the way i conceptualize it at the moment it's like a game. Like I know to be happy and content, to do happiness and do contentness and do fulfillment, I don't need much. And I believe that. I, I really don't need much. So all the extra stuff, the podcast, the growth, the service, the projects, it's like a fun game to play. It's like an opportunity of, of a lifetime, pun intended. Like it's, 
you literally have this gift that's been given to you and it's really up to you what you do with it. I mean, I've talked to you about the doors of life. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I look at it. Like life is just got all these doors and it's up to you whether you want to open them or not. And you can open a lot of them and stay, just get an experience of a lot of things. Or my approach is to open a few of them, but go deeper. So open a few doors and you find that when you open one door, there's a whole host of doors after that, that you didn't even know existed. So you get access to that. And then you open another door in that, that realm. And then you keep going and playing that game. So now in this, we know we've opened the podcast door. Yeah. And I'm intrigued to see what other doors open after that. I'm not sure what will open. We have some plans, but um, there's a bit of unpredictability of life playing a role there as well. So, but I look at that as a game. So it's, I try not to take it too seriously. I do. I am 100% guilty of that, but I try not to take it too seriously because I know at the end of the day, I'll be happy with a cup of tea. It's interesting that you say that you do happiness, that you do contentfulness. You do mindfulness and as if they're all actions. So what could, could you tell us more about what you mean by that? How can you do happiness? And this is probably something we can explore in a different episode. I am a big believer in my own life and now the way I teach it as well that I think the way we look at things like happiness and contentment and love is flawed. And the reason I say that is because let, let's take happiness so the classic definition of happiness, if you look in the dictionary, is that it is a positive emotional state or a feeling such as joy or contentment or fulfillment or life satisfaction, right? A feeling. And that's a great definition, but I just don't find it useful. And the reason is if you define happiness or these important things like contentment or love as feelings, by definition, feelings come and go. They're fleeting. And I refuse to accept that something as important as happiness or joy or contentment comes and goes. So then the question is, how can you be happy before, during and after anything? And I think it happens when you can define it as a skill or as something that you do because you have 100% control of, over what you do. So you start viewing happiness as an example, as, a, as an action or something that you do I like to think that you can do that all the time. So I might not always feel happy, but most of the time I'm doing happiness. I might not always feel well, but most of the time I'm doing wellness. You know, I'm exercising, I'm gratitude journaling, whatever that is. I mean, I have specific things for me, but whatever that is for you. That's why I changed the, the wording around it because I just find it so much more useful and empowering. It's completely transformed my life, that way of thinking and that way of doing. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because I have a similar definition in my head to the dictionary definition, which is that it is a feeling. And like all feelings, perfectly valid, per every feeling is valid and every feeling is fleeting and they're driven by your thoughts. I think if you want to do happiness, you ultimately have to control your feelings and your thoughts. That's the way that I interpreted what you've said. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh I think to do happiness, I don't think feeling it is a prerequisite. I have my system for doing happiness. Essentially, it comes down to meditating, gratitude journaling, exercise, 
and connection. That means a bunch of things for me, right? Like, you know, being time with family, et cetera, et cetera, time with friends. So whether I feel like it or not uh, is not a prerequisite. So there are plenty of days that I'm not necessarily feeling happiness or feeling motivated, but I still try to do it. We know that the evidence and the science backs up that that will actually ironically help you feel better anyway, because feelings, thoughts, and actions are all linked. But like I said, a feeling is not a prerequisite. If, if you think it is a prerequisite, you run the risk of it affecting your actions. So, I mean, we talked about in episode one, right? Touching the stove. Feelings may put you down the wrong path. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm not a psychopath. Like I know feelings are important. They're very, very important, very, very powerful and 100% valid. I just think in my personal life and what I've seen is that it affect, it can lead you down the wrong path. So we talked about in episode one, touching the stove, that feeling of discomfort has stopped me from doing so many things in my life and it's taken so many opportunities away from me and it was the feeling that caused that. So, but if I, if I, if I didn't think that feelings were a prerequisite, if I was, had the opportunity to speak in front of a thousand people and it didn't matter how I felt about it, I just decided that I was going to do it. Then life, life looks very different. And, and since I've started looking at life that way, it has looked very different. And I'm, that's why I constantly say I'm living the dream. I, when asked, when people ask me how I am, I don't describe it as a feeling. I describe it as something that I'm actively doing. Whether I feel it or not, luck of the draw. But the, the irony is that because of how feelings, thoughts, and actions are linked, I end up feeling pretty good most of the time anyway. But that's not my focus. Yeah. <laughs> so how does that translate into your experience within the nursing home? Has that shaped the way that you view happiness? Has it shaped my view of happiness? I think so. It simplifies the the level of thinking and doing that's required i think to be truly content i mean even that that idea of doing contentment it's not a feeling necessarily for me it's a cup of tea you see the distinction um because the feeling feelings can fluctuate they're, they're fleeting i might feel content one moment and then might feel something else later yeah you will but they're also a good indication of what's happening internally in your head, in your mind space, and in your body as well. Like you said, they'll guide you in understanding movement within your boundaries. One thing that I've learned is, say if you're you're feeling defensive or if you're feeling anger or frustration, it's an indication that your boundaries have been crossed. So that then can allow you to understand and move backwards towards the thoughts, feelings, and actions. Well, what was I thinking at the time when I was feeling this thing or I was feeling a particular way? But you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely nuances there that I agree with. It's just difficult for me to see how you can do happiness all the time because I think even the, the word happiness is... It's by definition transient. Not the way I do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 in itself, I I refuse to accept that happiness can be transient. Hmm. That's crazy to me. Yeah. How can happiness be transient? It it 
and how can you accept that that's um that's okay like happiness is i don't think it should be transient and and i know the def- i i've i've flipped the definition so i've um i've created my own parameters and now i live in those parameters and not don't accept <laughs> no, not that i don't accept the other parameters <laughs> but i i think these parameters are, have been much more useful for me in my life yeah i absolutely love how sure you are that that's and, and that's a dangerous place to be i don't like to I was be fixed gonna, on many things i was going to say i was going to say do you think that's a self-limiting belief uh look if you look at it logically or you know from a very intellectual level maybe but it has not been self-limiting to think and do this way i don't think it's completely unlocked a part of life that's always there i just had to reframe it so at the moment it has been the what's the opposite of self-limiting self-empowering self-empowering yeah that's what it's been self-fulfilling yeah self-fulfilling yeah say for example you've got a patient and you know that their lifestyle is leading them them down a particular path or you can see that they've come to you and they need help in a particular way which will ultimately enable them or empower them to live a more healthier life like how would you how would you empower them say for example you went to your gp and you said doc i'm i'm i don't know what i'm doing i'm thinking that happiness is an action <laughs> how do i <laughs> how do i change this how would you how would you empower them that's that's how i would empower them to think of to to start yeah. viewing it as a a way of thinking and a, and an action because often i mean it's an interesting one right but them are like you question whether it could be a self-limiting belief but i can flip that and ask that of most people as well is viewing happiness as a feeling a self-limiting belief and i had that thought process for most of my life and it was self-limiting for me so when people people come into me and they i just don't feel motivated to exercise i'm just not feeling it at the moment and depending on the patient and i mean this with the utmost respect and i come from a place of love like i say in not necessarily these words depends on who it is but feeling like you want to do it is not a prerequisite for you doing it because if you wait to feel like it okay so that's going to come and go so your well-being is going to come and go like no that's that's not acceptable like feelings are affected by even the weather you notice when the sun comes out everyone's feeling so much better and when it's cloudy you know in england people get depressed during winter because it's so cloudy you know it's i i don't feel like exercising because it's too cold like it's not a prerequisite exercise as an example you know the evidence is there to it's going to help your physical health your mental health your emotional health it's just not a prerequisite for me i've started looking life like that looking at life like that it's completely changed my life cuz like i hardly ever feel like exercising i'm tired you know like i but i still do it and i feel feel great after not that that's necessarily why I'm doing it but I I I just know the I just believe in the process I just believe in the process and the irony of it is I feel so much better for it that's the ultimate irony is <laughs> but uh the guy who doesn't doesn't focus too much on their feelings actually ends up feeling better it's almost poetic <laughs> and same with my patients and this it's the exact same with my patients like I've I had a patient recently who a tradie who was really feeling anxious about picking up their phone when a client called because he didn't want to sound like an idiot 
in his words. We explored that. And then once we looked at the thinking, so we changed the thinking. We said, okay, we accept that you're feeling anxious. So we looked at the thinking, got him to ask three questions as, as soon as the phone rings. Number one, what's the worst case scenario if I pick up the phone? Number two, can I come back from it? And number three, what's the most epic thing that can happen from me picking up this phone? Worst case scenario, maybe sound like an idiot. Can I come back from it? Yes. Best case scenario, cash, money, right? Clients were calling him and he picked up his phone, i.e. the action in two weeks. You know, he had literally had more money, but he was also feeling better about his anxiety as well. So again, feeling, and I mean this with respect, there's a lot of nuances here, which are hard to explore, but you know, in, in, for example, in a case of trauma or, you know, there are a lot of nuances there that the feelings do matter. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't express how they feel. All I'm saying is for change to occur, just to consider whether you focus on the thinking and in particular the actions and see what happens, because that's a flip to what's normally done. Some of the wisdom that you gain through working in the nursing home, like has that ever made you question or maybe even affirm the way that you believe that, that happiness is an action? I think affirm. However, no one has described it to me in these words. So this is a framework that I've developed that has worked really well for me. So I'm looking at it through that lens. The people that are feeling happier at the end of their life generally have done certain things to get there. So they've often they have close connections generally to family, like very close connections, you know, like pictures all over their walls, constantly being called by family, constantly being visited by family, that sort of stuff. And that would help, that helps them feel better. But I much more, I mean, I view it from a lens of, so what are the actions that were required to cultivate that level of connection in your family? So even love, I look at it as an action. And that's something I learned from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So in my marriage, I don't look at it as love as a feeling, I look at it as an action as well. So how can I express love today? How can I, is it a massage? Is it finally listening to her when she tells me for the 15th time to wash the dishes? And whatever it is, it's like, it's an action. And I guess I'm feeling love as well. <laughs> uh, there's, there's some feelings. There's some feelings for sure. <laughs> Are we still talking about nursing homes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, there's a lot there's a lot to go off of there. You, you know, yeah. This is, a, this is a topic that you know gets me riled up because I'm so passionate about it. Yeah, and I, I mean, we can talk about this for hours, but oh, it shows, man. It shows in the way that you're just describing your thought process and how it's impacted your life. And and I just do want to add a big disclaimer here. I one of my big things is like everything I say and do. I don't want it to hurt myself or anybody else. So. I hope this doesn't offend anyone. It's just I, the reason I feel so strongly about it is because it changed my life. It completely changed my life. When that happens to someone, like you just want to scream it from the rooftops, you know, and you just want to share that with other people and maybe it'll help them as well. That's that's the only reason I'm so passionate and, and firm on this because, I mean, I don't know anyone who's talking about it in this way and I'm not trying to be like a tra trailblazer or anything. It's just, it just... It just has profoundly changed my life. And I want it, I would love for it to do the same for other people as well. 
Yeah, there's uh, definitely book opportunities for you in that space. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do you have a do you have a book in you, bro? Oh, have you ever thought man. about it? No, I I really haven't. I feel like I've got oh. more life to live before I can write a book. Oh, I think about it constantly, like my titles, what I would call it. Oh yeah, maybe it's yeah. time to touch that stove to write a book. Yeah. Yeah, dude. What's the space? What's the space? <laughs> I, re- I reckon 2022 is going to be the year. Yeah. Oh, there you go. 2022. Yeah. Let's see. There you go. So your work in the nursing home, how can you cultivate these feelings of, of happiness and, and contentfulness and wellness using your model? Yeah, look, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. And that's something I am constantly working on. And I don't think it's up to me or you know as the gp alone it's it's it requires a team effort and the team is such a massive part of the nursing home but as far as a gp something that's helped me is redefining the relationship so the classic relationship i mean you mentioned it before as well it's very subtle i'm not i don't know if you if you notice but you call the the elderly person in question a patient so that's the classic doctor patient relationship and i think that's okay and that's where we all start as a doctor coming into the nursing home but i personally don't think it should end there uh, it's a little bit transactional you you come in you find out whatever ailment they have and you try to help them not to say that there's no value there is value in a transaction by definition right and then the next level i look at it as you start viewing them as a resident not a patient so you have this doctor resident relationship and if doctor patient is transactional doctor resident is acknowledgement you acknowledge the different circumstances so it's very different from them coming to your consult rooms that's very doctor patient but you're literally going into their home and if you can imagine a nursing home you literally knock on the door and you walk into their room and you're in their house and often the door is open and that is a very different relationship to the classic doctor-patient. I mean, imagine if essentially it's like having your door open and your doctor can just knock and come in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's the next level, doctor-resident. So you really acknowledge that this is different. This is this is different. You have to respect the that you're coming into their home and you're doing it every week in my case, in a lot of GP's cases. And then the third level, which is the level that I love, is friend friend relationship so the only caveat is you're a friend that happens to know some stuff about medicine so it's fascinating and i think that's that's where i like to live it it brings out the best in me and it brings out the breast in my friends or residents you know and i'll give you an example so not every resident is like this but i had a i had a conversation with one recently he had a little bit of shortness of breath so i did the medical stuff you know examined him did an ecg showed some some like abnormal findings so I literally called him i was like hey um i think i'm going to send you to the cardiologist it's a heart specialist talked about that for about 2 minutes and he's like yeah whatever you want gihan let's do that i'm happy didn't have many questions I was like, cool, I'll organize the referral. And then his next one's like, hey, Gihan, you got time for a joke? (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, what do you call the little branches that come off the Nile River? Juveniles. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and oh, then he, I had the same reaction. I just cracked up. He's like, yeah, you like that? You like that? And he just walked away. So it's a very, it's a, not all of them care that much about the medical stuff. They just want a friend. They just want, a lot of them are lonely. Many of them are lonely, if not all of them. And that's the best prescription that I often find that I can give, you know, just give them my time, have a chat. And then if they have a rash, sort that out. And the friend-friend relationship, although it's it's not encouraged technically in the medical world because you have to draw that line. And the line is there. It's just um, it's just much more therapeutic for them to look at it like that. Because when you when you have a doctor-patient or a doctor-resident relationship, they think that to see me, they have to have something wrong with them. Yeah. The friend-friend relationship puts that on its head so i i have a resident i don't i see every week i have not talked about anything medical for months all she does is teach me german <laughs> how's your german suboptimal <laughs> <laughs> i can say how are you geht es ihnen? <laughs> and that's weather is good oh, the weather yeah. is good so and that makes her profoundly happy and that makes me profoundly happy as well see her happy and also free german lessons so yeah and then i guess there are a few layers to the friend friend relationship and i look at that as so if if doctor patient is transactional doctor resident is acknowledgement of the circumstances friend friend is human it's a very human approach and then there's some fun layers to it that i always add one is student mentor so i'm the student asking for life advice from someone who's just live so many so many years on the planet and that's about wisdom and that's very selfish of me and i acknowledge <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. and then there's a there's a there's a fun one which is guest comedian which is all about play which is exactly what happened with that resident who told me about the juveniles like it's you're literally a guest at their show and and they're the star and you make them the star and they can tell the jokes they can tell the stories and that in itself is incredibly empowering for them because we all know we want to talk about ourselves generally right giving an elderly person that opportunity uh is i think is much more therapeutic than titrating their blood pressure medication which i do as well but i think it's much more important to let them tell me about the juveniles <laughs> yeah so so you've got the student and mentor you've got the comedian and guest yeah and You've got, which other ones did you say? Yeah, so the friend friend yeah. is my favorite. And I think the, the guest comedian and student mentor come off that. And, and you've kind of molded those terms to define the type of care that you want to bring to the, to the person. Yep. I'm trying to avoid the word patient. I know you good. caught me off on it. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. I always cringe when I call them patients. I'm like, come on, they're not patients. They're my they're my friends. <laughs> <laughs> they're my and, people. <laughs> and it's I, I have no idea how, how I've got myself into this this amazing like this such a blessed, blessed job to have. So I was talking to one of my residents recently and the conversation essentially went she's she feels like she's outlived her worth. So there's nothing more left. If it if she had her way, she would just turn off the lights sort of thing mm. and that's what i said about when someone passes sometimes it's unfortunately sometimes it's fortunately for someone like that i would say it's fortunately yeah. and she she essentially told me that 
and she essentially says, you know, I want to drift away. I just want to sleep and not wake up. And a lot of these residents get to that level. And I describe it when I describe it to them because they don't quite have the vocabulary sometimes to describe it themselves. It's like I had a resident, you know, in the past that essentially said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be around when it happens. Yeah, wow. And as soon as I say that, they're like, yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> I, they completely identify. And one thing that this particular lady recently told me, which is probably one of the best compliments that I've ever received from a human, I would say, is that, Gihan, like when you come, like at the start, she always, they're old school, right? They're like, I'm like 70 years younger than these people. Right? They're like, you're still a doctor, so I respect you sort of thing. And once I wheeled her out, outside because she wanted to go outside she's like oh my god like the doctor's wheeling me out like look like there's like a big deal for them i'm like well like i should be like kneeling at your feet <laughs> like you know yeah it's out of whack but anyway she told me yeah like when you come like it's doesn't feel like a doctor's coming to see me it feels like a friend coming to see me and i really appreciate that and i've always felt that i could tell you and she she tells me everything like she tells me stuff she's like she tells me stuff she's like can you please not write that down <laughs> and that yeah. is very therapeutic i think for someone who is struggling with loneliness and that's why i'm so big on that that model because i think it's it's powerful it, it's really helped me this is this this model doesn't exist anyway because i've just made it up so i can conceptualize how i approach my residents at the at the nursing home so at least with that resident it helped <laughs> i can at least say oh no doubt like as, as I'm hearing it and I'm as I'm listening to you, it's incredibly powerful stuff because it's far and away a different experience to what I have with my profession. So what do you think are some preconceived notions that you'd probably want to set straight in our understanding of or the everyday person's understanding of nursing homes? There's a lot of stuff that gets in the media on what happens in nursing homes, you know, especially recently with the Royal Commission. And there are a lot of factors at play. And what I feel is happening is that there's a lot of finger pointing and blaming and essentially this is not good enough type rhetoric, which I agree with. It isn't good enough. It could always be better. And it comes down to a lot of things, resourcing, funding, professional like training, medical, legal, policies and regulations there's there's a lot of factors but what i want to focus on is advocate for the beautiful things that happen that no one ever sees and that no one knows about so two weeks ago i walked past this lady who has advanced dementia she pretty much can't remember anything after you know you, you might see her you might come back in a minute and she won't know that you were there or that i'm the doctor so I walked past and what I saw was a carer combing her hair. And that can be just, you can just view that as, okay, the carer's combing her hair. But it goes so much deeper than that because number one, I don't think anyone really notices it, which bothers me because it's, it's such a, a beautiful thing. Essentially a stranger, I mean, yes, they're getting paid, but a stranger is, is combing your hair, combing your mom's hair or your grandmother's hair. And I guess the, the next level to this is that this resident may not even realize or will, will definitely forget a minute after she leaves. But there's an element of dignity there, right? And I think that's beautiful. And that is not an isolated event. That happens all the time, 
all the time, every single day. So there are patients that, there, here I go, patients, residents, that the nurses will go and give them a massage, like a shoulder massage. That's not in their job description. And that's purely because they need a massage. And it's like, oh, you know, they've got like a crook neck or something. Or they'll, some, some staff will have their lunch or their meal with a resident. And all these things are small acts of kindness that go unnoticed. They're not measured and they're fairly intangible, but it, it's a beautiful, inspir- it's like inspiring to me because it makes me want to really become a better version of myself and really delve into that friend, friend, human aspect of the care. Um, because that that is much more powerful, I think, than you know messing with the medications or titrating the medications or ordering an ECG. Because in the nursing home, the unfortunate reality is the concept will end at some point. It will end for everyone. But for them, I guess it's perhaps going to come in the next five years, probably. So how can we give them quality? How can we give them dignity? Especially if you can imagine being able to walk talk, feed yourself, wash yourself, and then suddenly not being able to and relying on other people to do it. it it's, a, it's incredibly disempowering for the resident. And what the staff do to try to combat that, it's not always a perfect science, uh, but it, it's, it's truly inspiring. Why is that not in the media? It drives me crazy. Why in the world? I mean, yes, there are some negative stuff. We know that. But wh- why is that not in the media? Because it, it's... It's just as important, if not more important. And, you know, the nurses that would, I had a resident recently, I mean, she she was just sitting on the couch and then she got up and started walking. She has dementia and you could tell she had peed herself, like it had like leaked. So her whole dress was just wet. She didn't even realize. All I had to do essentially was say, hey guys, X's dress is wet. Can you guys sort it out? And bam, it's done. Like they take, they took her to the room and imagine what that involves. So they take a, a resident with dementia to the room. She's not the most mobile, so it takes about five minutes just to walk to the room, then to change her, wash her. And then in 20 minutes, I see her back. She's rocking her yellow cardigan, doesn't even remember that she's peed herself. But there's this beautiful act of kindness that's happened in between. And I think that's newsworthy, but it's it never makes the news. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think what, what I really understood from that was the dignity aspect of it and giving them their sense of dignity back. I think that's incredible. Yeah, I, I think that's just, it's, it's a beautiful story. And I think us as the general public definitely take for granted the services that are provided to those that need it the most. You know, it's often out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? I think so. And then when and, and then when you hear about it in the six o'clock news, you're hearing all the negative things about it and you're thinking, oh geez, I don't want to send my mom or my father or any of my loved ones over there. Whereas in reality we're only getting a very, very skewed picture of what's actually happening within these um, facilities? I think so. And it's not to say, I don't think many people would be really happy about sending their loved one to a nursing home. It's not a perfect, it can, it's very hard to replicate what it would be like at home because it's just different. You know, you have room after room and 
foods at a certain time and you know they require a lot of help many of them but i just want to advocate for the beautiful beautiful service that the nurses the admin the carers the students everyone everyone at a nursing home the reception everyone that the service that they give is not talked about enough so for anyone who's listening and maybe they have friends or family in the in the space or they meet a stranger who's in that space if they call themselves a nurse a nurse at a nursing home or a carer or i'm a receptionist at the nursing whatever it is that's just what they do they're underselling themselves trust me big up to the nursing home staff right absolutely absolutely i i i'm the i'm i'm proud to cheerlead for them because i i know I know the amount of hours they put in. I know the conditions, you know, they work under and it's not easy and they have my utmost respect. It's a beautiful note to end on, I think. I think so. Well, thanks for the conversation and thanks for listening. Any final thoughts, Dr. G? No. Thank you for listening to the Solve for Greatness podcast with your hosts, Dr. G and Budima. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and share. See you soon.